Hi everyone, thank you for joining me at Nikki Dare Radio and Podcast. My name is Nikki Dare. Idea was born of personal hardship, triumph, and the desire to succeed. Idea is an acronym for integrity, of diversity, adaptation, resilience, and empowerment. It is the hallmark of my life, derived from learning to evolve through difficult circumstances and experiences that result from challenges. And these challenges without obstacles, we never would know the true meaning of success or feel the exaltation or triumph over adversity. My personal mission, therefore, is to help you encounter your purpose and live your best, your best life, your inherent potential, and finding joy in the journey. I did, and so can you. It is about personal empowerment and unlocking your inner potential. Most of all, it's about living a lifestyle of adventures in the outdoors. I dare, therefore, is a way of life. So please join me to discover your inner potential by sharing some of your own challenges. So thank you for watching and thank you for listening. Let's make it a great, great and joyful week this week. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us at Nikki Dare Radio, heard worldwide by millions of listeners with your lovely host, Ms. Nikki Dare. Our podcast hosted by Nikki Dare is your home for education to safety and survival, leadership and inspiration. Nikki Dare is the founder of iDare Inc., a registered 501c3 with its mission to educate and mobilize resources for preparedness and sustainability. Sustainability. IDARE is a grassroots credo and personal mission based on its pillars of excellence integrity, diversity, adaptation, resilience, and empowerment. Ms. Dare's personal mission is to help you encounter your purpose by unlocking your inherent potential and finding joy in the journey. Women's advocate, transformational mentor, and a seasoned BPR change management consultant since her early 20s in transforming companies and decades later she is reinventing her purpose and now here's your lovely host Ms. Nikki Dare all right first and foremost I'm deeply saddened at what just had happened today at this elementary school in Texas at least with heavy heart, at least 19 students and two adults were killed Tuesday, today, May 24th, in a mass shooting at Robb Elementary School in Ovalde, Texas, roughly about 80 miles west of San Antonio, Texas. This tragic assault at Robb Elementary School was the deadliest, deadliest shooting at the U.S. homeland here school since a gunman killed 20 children and six adults in Connecticut Sandy Hook Elementary back in December 2012. Again, I'm deeply saddened about this and my thoughts and my prayers go to the families and those loved ones left behind. Sadly, active shooter incidents are becoming part of the daily landscape of our communities 
this has been my statement, personal statement that I have had pointed out for almost two decades, but now it's becoming more so. Preparedness is key to our survival and should be a way of life. I know world is changing, guys. Our world is changing, and it is changing rapidly from the way we do things compared to a few years ago, decades ago. We need to change the way we do things, the way we think, to be able to adapt to these changes, rapid changes before us environmentally, socially, socially, culturally, as well as doing business too in many aspects in our lives today and our generation and next generation to come. Social structures and family unities have changed and shifted a little bit backwards. We will talk about this. We need to talk about this. We must continue to build resilience communities while empowering others to positive, um, to positive ways and staying prepared for potential disasters. We should teach our kids the next generation to stay safe. You know, I always advocate for disaster preparedness. Every time I talk at different organizations, businesses, places, um, in front of families, in front of children, families and children, in my community workshop, mitigation lectures, I always say, it's my three cents, that I think disaster preparedness and also financial preparedness, guys, should be integrated, should be considered to integrate to our outdated, outdated, outdated education system. You know, we should teach our kids to stay safe, to be able to stay prepared, whatever dangers and harm it may be, may come. Not just the adults, but also our children. To have that mentality, not to be paranoid, but also to stay prepared from any dangers, disasters, whether it's natural disasters, whether it is man-made disasters, to be their own first responders, at least some kind of baseline, at least some kind of knowledge base, not just to march when they listen to the, uh, the school bell. And then their teachers will say, okay, let's go march outside. And they stretch themselves. They don't even know a lot of this. Majority of the kids don't even know why they're doing that. Do you guys still remember those things? There's, there's a time when the bell rings and it's, you know, supposed to be an earthquake drill. But we don't even know. We just march outside the classroom, out in the open space, and then just stand around and go, yeah, we don't have to sit in class. It, it got to change. It has to change. Nothing works. Whatever that is in place right now, it does not freaking work. So we got to change our mindset and shift our mindset to restructure socially. So social structures and family unities have certainly changed and shifted backwards. We need to talk about this. We should teach our kids, the next generation, to come to stay safe. Self-reliance is key to our survival. It is all about survival and sustainability. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this exclusive podcast. I am here armed with a very good friend, my mentor, all the way from Thailand, who also, like myself, grew up in Texas. I wanted to speak about this tragic with him today. You know, he is and my speed dial, as always, every time in this kind of thing, horrific 
incidents happen in my homeland here in the US, I'll always reach out to him and say, hey, do you have time? I need to talk about this. And he always makes time. And I, I am so grateful. David Gray, a very good friend, a mentor of mine, executive partner, the Trinity Spartan Rock Armory. He's also managing director. He owns the security company called Demas Security. And he's also a U.S. trained stuntman. You see him, namely NCIS, San Diego uh, and Las Vegas, if I'm not mistaken, CSI Las Vegas and a movie called Strike Back, available on Cinemax and HBO, both in the U.S. here, Homeland and International. He's an actor. He's also a screenplay writer, author of this book called Demon by Night. Again, author of the book called Demon by Night. Uh, special weapons and tactics trainer. He's also a bodyguard, former U.S. Marine. Yes, surf in Iraq and Afghanistan special ops. Most importantly, he is a father of three beautiful children and husband to a beautiful wife, David Gray. Welcome. Yeah, my volume is all the way up. Okay. All right. We're here with David Gray. <laughs> Finally here. Okay. We're going to talk about what just happened like hours ago uh, here in Homeland in Texas. Um, another incident, tragic incident that just happened today. Very unfortunate. And, you know, it had, um, it had taken down so far. Well, I mean, this is what we have, right? Um, let me just grab the accurate number here. 18 children at a Texas elementary school plus three adults. And it's, it's really the deadly shooting here at the, uh, at the, US, uh, the U.S. homeland now in Texas. So we want to talk about this, you know, what went wrong and how it happened, Um you know, it's, it's funny because here I am right before I open this up, I uh, try to read it, right? Because I've been hearing it um, on the uh, internet and people are talking about it already so far today, this afternoon. And so, of course, I don't watch TV. So I got my, uh, you know, my, uh, my share of information here, my sources um, from people just talking about it. But while I was reading this article, msn.com. And they released this information that the Border Patrol arrived first on the scene. And the Border Patrol agent who was nearby when the shooting began, he rushed into the school without waiting for the backup. You know, usually they have a backup, right? And shot and killed a gunman who was behind a barricade, according to a law enforcement official speaking on the condition of, and he was not authorized to talk about this yet. But obviously, it's too soon. It just had happened a few hours ago. Um, I just want to get you in here and get your um, feedback. I know you and I talk about it. This just happened eight hours ago. Um, you know, today is Tuesday in the U.S. And, you know, I, I'm here with David Gray uh, all the way from Thailand. And, you know, every time when this happened, of course, I come to you and then ask for your feedback, right? And we, we always discuss this and what went wrong, right, right, right. what are the solutions, what, what do you think would, that we should come up? Because obviously the things that we do here in the U.S., you and I talked about this a while ago, is not working. So, right. you know, you, you raised a lot of good points a while ago when we talked, uh, you know, there's a disconnect on yeah. the parents with the children at home. Well, 
first, 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 let me say uh, my deepest condolences go to all of the parents because as I have three children of my own and I, I would die inside if I lost one of them uh, in any way, shape or form. And, uh, you know, my kids got very sick with RSV prior to COVID and my daughter was in intensive care for 10 days. And, and if she had passed away, I would have, I would have, I, I wouldn't know what I would have done. So, but so right now my heart goes out to all the parents of all the kids and the parents of the teachers, the spouses and children of the teachers as well. I mean, there's a lot of suffering going on there. Um, I'm very familiar familiar with Uvalde, Texas. I used to pass through there quite often on my way to uh, Brackettville um, and on my way to Mexico when I was working security in Texas before I went into the Marine. So I'm very familiar with Uvalde. Um, it's a small, middle a low-income community. Okay. It's not a big city. The nearest big city is San Antonio. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's quite a distance away. Uh, so it's, it's not a very large city at all. Um, and it's a mostly Hispanic population. Uh, which uh, that, that whole region of Texas from San Antonio San Antonio towards the border is, is mostly Hispanic. Uh, my thoughts on why this happened uh, primarily come down to the family unit and the breakdown of the family unit. Um, this, this person that did the shooting, young man that did the shooting and was, was killed, um, probably didn't have the the parental oversight that he needed, the parental inter the parental interaction that he needed, probably because his parent or parents are working full time jobs and possibly two full time jobs. Um, and why did he lash out at a school? Why did he attack an elementary school and not a senior, not a high school, not a senior level school? Because he's eighteen, I believe. Maybe there was some past history there. Um, maybe there was a teacher or a student there that had done something uh, against him or he perceived a grievance with someone in the school. Uh, these things are very rarely re truly random. They're, and they're very rarely truly spontaneous. Um, Columbine, those kids planned it for months. They... they they planned and talked and and threatened to do things for quite a long time. And uh, I'm sure that there were signs with this, this young man as well that he was in trouble, that he needed help, that he, he had something going on in his life that needed to be remedied, but nobody's paying attention and nobody's stopping him. Or at least Can I interject you a little bit? Some of this, yeah, some of the gunmen here in the active shooter incidents always have one common denominator. They lately that I've seen, they they've already voiced their 
you know, minds, basically. I mean, they, they'd already share their thoughts and social media because social media, I mean, for me personally, it, I think all of these things have, have something to do with it. I mean, they, they use it as an outlet, right? Like, hey, you know, I'm not feeling well. I think I'm going to just kind of blow some oh. people up and things like that, or just kind of like brandishing their guns stuff, right? I mean, I mean, this is, I mean, yeah, he, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, they, I mean, talk to yeah. me. Talk, yeah. It's called it's called acting out in in the in the criminal psychology world, it, it, the behavioral sciences world. It's acting out. They're acting out some form, in some form or way to try to see if somebody pays attention to them and notices, and takes some sort of action to help them. But isn't uh, that something that we need to, to pay attention? Because I mean, obviously, sure. he didn't get enough attention by saying sure. it, and people don't take him seriously. I, I, I mean, sure. are we becoming a paranoid, you know, paranoid? you know united states of america or, or i mean is this something that we have to look at it every everybody then look it like like we talked about before mm-hmm. this there's a saying it takes a village to raise one child exactly uh, his village has turned into the online community why because exactly. the physical community is not there for him anymore and and we see this all the time the physical community is not there so he goes to the cyber community he goes to the internet community and, and talks, you know, and says whatever he's going to say, good or bad or, or indifferent. So we need to reestablish the family. We need to reestablish the, the community. We need to reestablish the village, right? Nobody knows, not many people know their neighbors anymore or interact with exactly. their neighbors anymore. Not many people uh, know everybody in their neighborhood, right? It used no, to we be, don't, we, right. Yeah, it, it used to be uh, when when I was a kid and when when my parents were kids that you could depend on other people in the neighborhood yeah. to help you. Somebody's going to wait, you know, like a, a elderly people across the street will be waiting for you. I mean, you know, your mom is probably or your dad, mom or a school and oh. it's still safe to go home, to come home, to walk home from school. These oh. days you can't. But yeah, we don't know our neighbors. I do, though. I, I you know, we 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 yeah, keep each rare. other and check in. But majority, you're right in in all of this. Yeah, go ahead. So my my grandmother was a school teacher in Texas. I'm originally from Texas, and she was a school teacher in a small town called Welder, Texas. And Welder, Texas had uh, a community, like a real community, where people knew each other. They interacted with each other. They got together when when they weren't doing work related things or school related things um, as as a community. They they all attended church together. They all knew each other. Most most people are, we don't have that anymore. Um, so when my grandmother retired and she moved from Welder, Texas, to Austin, Texas, to help my mom look after me and my older brother Sean while my mom worked. Um, she bought a house right across the street from the school that we were going to be going to. And she didn't just look after us. All of, there was a lot of other kids that would come over to my grandmother's house after school and spend some time until their mom or dad could come pick them mm-hmm. up when they got off from work, sometimes like four or five thirty um, in the, in the evening. And school let out at like three or something. So, and and so people kind of depended on her as as a as a matron, you know, as somebody looking out 
not a daycare, not a service provider, not a, you know, caretaker, not a caretaker, uh, but somebody just, uh, you know, a good hearted person looking out for the community. And, uh, you know, is that what you're saying then? I mean, are we becoming a modern society where mom and dad are working, um, yeah. trying to chase money, uh, right so they now, can provide right. a family lifestyle, and then the kids are being right. neglected with this virtual right. access to information, access to internet. Um, and always not saving all of that, right? You're saying, yeah, our, our most most Americans and and most people in the world now it's drifting that way. That your pri- the priorities are off. They've shifted away from family. They they've shifted towards work and they've shifted towards material things. Uh, they, they don't matter so much. Um, you know, a lot of these parents, they're, they're working one or two jobs. And it's both parents working one or two jobs. So they don't have time to spend with their children. So they depend on the school to look after their children for a certain amount mm-hmm. of time. And then when their kids get home, if the parents get home at the same time, it's probably only one of them for at least for most of that, most of that time. And it's, it's, they're in a hurry to do everything they need to do, right? Homework, dinner, laundry, uh, pay the bills, wash the dishes, clean the house. The, the parent in, in some ways has become a, a care provider, right? Uh, which is, a terrible thing. They're not a parent. Parents are supposed to be guides in this life for their children. They're supposed to be shepherds and teachers of life to their children. And they're not that anymore. Because so we're shifting away from all of the traditional old school, uh, right. traditional, you know, uh, right. Uh, right. Like parenting and then just have right. a house unity. Right. Like a right. family unity. That's what I was going to say. Family so, unity. That's what you're saying, way, right? Right. So here, here in Thailand, there's still a lot of family unity. And the, the, there's still mom and dads are still working. But a lot of times the grandparents from one side of the family or even both sides of the family are living with the mom, the dad, and the grandkids. Right. So it's still a family unit. And the grandparents are able to take care of the kids. Um, usually through the financial support of the two working parents or at least one working parent. So um, you still have that family dynamic, that traditional family dynamic. It's starting to erode here in Thailand. It's starting to be now where uh, couples are saying, we only want to have one child because it's financially feasible for us to have one child. And they have to hire a nanny because the grandparents live far away uh, and, and this kind of thing. So it's starting to, to change over the last, I would say, 20 years or so. It's, it's starting to get away from that traditional family unity thing. And uh, so America needs to get back to that. Grandparents need to be grandparents. They don't need to be there full time. Parents need to be parents. They need to have their time with their children where they teach and they they teach them and instruct them and they teach them right from wrong, which is another thing America's kind of starting to lose the lose the path on. Um, uh, has 
or lost the plot. Some places they've lost it completely. Um, like values, family values, and family unity. Yeah. You're talking about that. We're yes. still talking about family, right? Right, right. So, you know, I'm. I see these parents that are depending so heavily on the schools, and what mm -hmm. are what are what are the schools hiring? They're hiring mostly single, young uh, people to be educators. Single young people to be educators, which means what? They lack. They they lack they life themselves. Experience. They lack they lack life experience. They're, they're, they only have to look out for themselves primarily. And and they if they take on the kids, they start pushing their values as a single person onto the children. Okay? Single people in their twenties and early thirties still have a lot of party and adventure and you know wild things they want to do and quite honestly they don't have enough life experience to be good educators on the moral side of things right uh they're still making a lot of mistakes that they <laughs> that they <laughs> well, they're still learning themselves right they're still learning so they don't have enough um you know, experiences yet to be an educator. Uh, is that is that correct though? I mean, I want to I want to pull up some statistics, but go go right ahead because I just want to. Well, so, what what grandparents do? The the very important role that grandparents play in your. Yes, hold on, my daughter. Did. No, that's okay. Yeah. Okay. Yes. All right. Uh, so <laughs> she says this toy is broken. Get another toy. Play another toy, Sheila. Oh, <laughs> he's at home with his with his daughter. One of his daughter. Where, yeah, where is little little uh, Dave? Uh, Jackie. He's Jackie. In yeah, mini Dave. Yeah. Jackie. Yeah, I dropped, dropped him at school. Uh, him and his older sister. So I have a two and a half year old at home today. Um, so anyhow, grandparents fill a very important role. And what are they? They are. They're the ones. They have all the, this life experience, you know, 40, 50, 60 years or more of life experience of knowing what mistakes not to make, mm -hmm. right? What's dangerous, what's smart, what's not smart. And, and they, they, they're still guiding the parents of their grandchildren and they're guiding their grandchildren, right? But they're, they, they need to physically be there and physically be involved on some level to do that um my, uh so my grandmother was very involved uh and and exerted some level of control over my my mother who was quite young when she had me and my brother and, which is uh, good right yes it was it very was good, good in, in some ways yeah yeah it was good in some ways for sure uh, to try to rein in my mom's my mom's wild side in her in her twenties, <laughs> uh, but anyhow, uh, so grandparents fill that very important role. Now in America, we've gotten away from grandparents being very involved in children's lives. Now it's schools and social workers and caseworkers and oh, and yeah. school psychologists, right? Mm -hmm. School counselors, whatever you want to call them. And it's it's not grandparents anymore. 
the grandparents fill a very specific role. When my, when my grandmother passed away and my mom had what we call the younger five children, I'm, I'm, I'm number two of nine. Uh, now we're eight because I lost one brother. But uh, when my grandmother passed away and my mom had the younger five children, she was very smart in that she, she found some people uh, that worked with my dad. They were an elderly couple, and they wanted to be like grandparents to the younger five kids. So they were there all the time, family gatherings, and they'd come over for dinners. They, they would look after the kids when my parents needed some help. And they were basically step-grandparents. You know, they, they stepped in. They're doing the role. Yeah, they're doing that role. And they, and they did a fantastic job. And I really admire my mom for finding somebody to fill that role. And, and then now she's, now my mom is the grandma, right? So uh, she's got a lot of grandkids. And she's filling a very, very, very important role as far as taking care and guiding the children and teaching the children. And she homeschooled, my mom homeschooled, uh, the younger five children in my family. And now she's, she's also teaching off and on through her own little ways. All, all, all the grandkids are going to, uh, to, to regular schools, to public schools, but she's still teaching them at home when she has them. And she's, she's helping out and she's taking care of them. And, you know, I see in the U S a lot of a lot of families, they don't have that grandparent aspect anymore. So they rely on school. They rely on some sort of social services system or daycare system, or, or they rely on a, on a, a nanny, right? And most nannies are young and inexperienced people. They're not grandparents. So we need, we need that grandparent role um, put in there. Okay. Um, that's one thing. But we need parental interaction with the kids. That's the biggest thing to be present and to know your child and what's going on with your child daily, hourly. You know. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, the interaction, the communication, also within the family. I mean, that's part of the family unity that we, uh, what we mentioned, right? I mean, it's lacking. Oh. It's it's pretty much disconnect. I have a, a really, really direct concern about what you just said about the family unity and things like that, because we are heading, as you already know, um, because of the pandemic, it's, it's born out of the pandemic, right? The uh, metaverse, the metaverse is going to be huge, oh. right? And so far, it has been really influenced by, you know, by a lot of the celebrity, not celebrity, but, but, but a lot of the influencers, social media influencers, yeah, um, yeah. also celebrities are already applying that too as well. But Right. How is that going to pan out with the kids, the, the now today's generation? Because today's generation love all of these things, all of the automation, the, uh, the internet. Right. The, uh, so it's up, to, it's up to the parents to put the, right. to put the reins on that, to, to get it under control. So my kids, we relegate how much time they have with the TV, what they watch on the TV, and, and how much time they use the phone or they play games or whatever. It's all, it's all con controlled to an extent where it's, it's not something that dominates their lives. And we try not to let them become addicted to it. My kids are eight, five, and, and almost three right now. 
But I can tell you, a two-year-old can be addicted to a phone, a five-year-old can be addicted to a phone, and an eight-year-old can be addicted to What are you talking to, about? To a, phone. a 40, so, 50, 60-year-old still addicted to the phone, right? Right, right. But hey, that's, that's on them, right? Uh, I'm talking about somebody that's in their formative years. Exactly. And making, uh, you know, they're getting all their de- decision-making processes right. built now, right? The moral fiber of their life is being built at that age and if, if it's being fed to them by the by the internet the the moral fiber of the internet is is uh non-existent there is no moral fiber in the internet exactly so, so there's there, there's no good guidance from the internet Let, so, let's so, also talk talk about before i forget this because it's been on my mind and i think you and i have been talking brush off a little bit about this a while ago um how about the exhausted america how about the exhausted you know parents that's um want to circle back to family unity um then you know that at home that's chasing money and then you know we all have to uh put up our standard you know that we have to have you know pay our house mortgage now ever increasing inflated you know inflation things like that right um Mm -hmm. the um the everyday right uh, stress everyday everything right in in a corporation in in just holding on a job just making a day-to-day living um, we, we touch on, an, you know, in America, only in this country that has only like 14 days to take a vacation. You know, is that enough? I remember, is that enough right. out of the 365 Look, days? <laughs> you know what I mean? I remember, all of the I remember when I was a kid. Demanding. I remember, I remember when I was a kid, and I'm 47, almost 48. I'll be 48 next month. I remember when I was a kid, gas being uh, 97 cents a gallon. Oh, and, no. I showed you the picture yesterday, right? $7.25 off the California freeway. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, inflation is a thing, and your income does not always match the inflation rate. Not at That's all in California. Big, uh-uh. Not at all in most places. In even, most places. Even, even here in Thailand, it doesn't match. And it's shooting up. Everything here is getting more expensive by the day. Um, you know, we're paying – I pay $10 for a box of Cheerios. Okay. Oh my God! Are you serious? They're ten dollars, ten dollars for a box of Cheerios because it's an imported item, and that's because it's taxed. So everything that we have is taxed. Uh, here in Thailand, in most countries, a lot of things are taxed. In in the U.S., everything is taxed. Everything's taxed. taxed. You're not taxed <laughs> once. You're taxed in into oblivion. You're taxed so much that you don't even realize how taxed you're being. <laughs> Exactly, they're overtaxed. Yeah, they, they will. They will tax you on the taxes, right? On taxes so, over on top of the tax. Oh, can oh. I can I just fill this in real quick before I? I just want to share this with you. I don't know if I did or not, but our governor, you know, uh, he 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 proposed that uh, we have a water usage. It's not a tax, but a fee, a penalty. If we were to use, I don't know how many gallons per house. Yeah, we're gonna get penalty. Um, can you believe that? I mean, we're already suffered so much in so many, so many ways, right? And then now it's a water usage. And then it's, it's right about before summertime. It's next month, I believe. It's going to take effect next month. That's in June. So yeah, they did this. They did this before um, in Cal in California. They did it before. They did a water tax um, 
a water fine fee, whatever, before. And it didn't work. They do the same thing in Nevada, in Las Vegas. Yeah, Nevada, exactly. And Arizona also. They'll try to do this every once in a while. It doesn't work. It's just an people still going to use however much water they want to use. It's just an excuse for the government to get more money from you, really. it does it make people save water? No, you can't save water. Everybody's going to use water. You can't save air. Everybody's going to use air. Um, so, you know, that's exactly. like a yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. Let's go back again to the, uh, the this active shooting thing uh, incident. Um, I know that there in United States. I want to pull out a statistic, a number, the gun violence archive.org. I use this as a as a huge resources ever. You know, every time when I when I talk about active shooting incidents and preparedness training and all of that, but according to their stats, um, I've been using this right in the last like 2014 mass mm. shooting, considered mass shooting because FBI had you know had 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 recommended that look if it's more than four people killed, that's what we call right mass shooting. So yeah, the mass shooting, the, they right. changed the the legal parameters of what a mass shooting is the politicians change the legal parameters of what <laughs> exactly exactly well, well we'll talk about that a little bit but let me give you the uh, the data is like 2014 um uh, it's like 272 right 20 yeah, yeah 2014 272 mass shooting and then then the following year is 336 and then it went to 382 and then it stays in 300s until 2019, until 2019, it went up to 400. And then it shoots up in 2020 to 610 during pandemic, Whoa. during the year of Whoa. pandemic, 2020, 610. Nobody talk about it, right? And then last year, it went to 692. So, so far, I've heard that Whoa. there's a 200 and something, to over 200 mass shootings so far. We're in the uh, May, at the end of May right now, this year. So what are your thoughts on that? I mean, people, well, everyone we talk about well, active shooting well, is always the politicians that have a gun control, gun, gun this, gun that, gun restriction. I'm all for that, but it hasn't been well, working. The psychology of a shooter is normally, look, I've tried everything, talking, screaming, shouting, throwing tantrums, acting out, doing criminal activity to get attention, to get somebody to, to, to talk to me, to help me, to whatever. And it hasn't worked. So the, the psychology is, well, I'm going to go do a mass shooting to get, to get the result I need, right? Whether that's somebody kill me or whatever. So normally these mass shootings are not so random. There, there, there is some sort of targeting of someone or some group of people. It uh, used to for, be, right? Still is. still is. We just don't, the media doesn't talk about it anymore. They make it seem like a guy just walks into a grocery store and starts shooting. Well, normally there's a reason he picked that particular grocery store. There's a reason he picked the first or second person that he shot uh, or she shot. You know, there's usually there's a reason. There's a motivation. There's not... There, there's some sort of injustice or wrong that they felt has been done to them and they need to go balance it out on society by taking out a whole bunch of people um, and go out in a blaze of glory and, and media coverage. So there's a psychology issue here, a big psychology issue. And this, this again, comes down to you're dissolving the family unit. You're, 
you don't have anyone in your family that you can talk to because everybody's too dang busy with everything else. And, and, uh, and, <laughs> you know, there's, there's a ton, there's tons and tons of issues that have been stacked up for the last 30 something years. It would just been compounding, adding to it. And then you add, uh, COVID restrictions. I'm not going to say it's because of COVID. It's because of COVID restriction. Lockdown, isolation, yeah. all of those years. Lockdown, isolation, uh, financial loss, family loss, uh, sickness, food, food disparity where people are having a hard time getting certain food because they can't afford it. You know, electricity is being shut off, cars being repossessed, uh, you know. They're, they're losing their, their grip on their lifestyle that they're used to. And there's so much frustration. There's so much anger. There's so much stress. Where do you direct that energy, that negative energy? Where do you direct it if nobody's listening to you? Right? If no one is listening to you. Also, you need to take a look at the suicide rates from 2018. Yes. To now. They've skyrocketed. They skyrocketed. Yeah, they skyrocketed. So, for sure, for sure. And in New York, it was raining mm -hmm. people. In 2020, and nobody talked about mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. In 2022, there is already 9,500 suicide. Um, yeah. 2014... This is, this is um, yeah, uh, suicide by gun is 21, but, but suicide, so just suicide is 624 in 2014, and it just went skyrocket now in 2022 right. in the last couple of years. It, it's so sad. It's just right. so sad. Because, because without any other outlet or that energy, it turns to either violence or self-destructive behavior. Self-destructive, yes, both. exactly. Those two so, options. Mm -hmm. So are you talking about mental health uh, would be mental health. Okay. Mental health. But beyond, even before we start talking about mental health, we need to talk about solid family unity. Exactly. Yeah. I agree with that. The family unity and family. Um, so it's, it's, you know, we're talking about, I, I always say, I always mention that, you know, the world is changing. This is what I always say, right? My narrative is a climate, the politics, the gun culture, the society, micro, macro level. Uh, we got to have to stay prepared because we never know all of these things, right? Um, and then, you know, today's, today's um, um, you know, like, uh, it's, it's, it's like an everyday daily landscape now. Every community now, the actually incident is like, what's next? And we're almost kind of like expected it to happen, right? We just got through... We just got through and not even finished morning now. I mean, you know, morning is always forever oh. and my condolences and everything through the Buffalo, um, New also, York shooting. I mean, it's still, oh. it's still in the mind. It's still in our mind, fresh in our mind. And then here we go. And it's elementary oh. school. It's like, how can we make of this? Here's, here's, a, here's, here's a big deal that, that a lot of people are not talking about. We talked about it earlier. This is something a lot of people don't really realize or think about. America as a country is the United States. States is the word that other countries use to, to define their country, right? So the United States is 50 countries all put together and they are united. We wouldn't pay so much attention to the statistics from another country 
you know, let's say Belize or let's say uh, a country that you don't hear very much about, right? Uh, Venezuela. We don't hear a whole lot about Venezuela. There's Denmark. Venezuela. Denmark, Switzerland. Right? We don't hear their statistics and we don't, we don't blame the whole European Union for what, what happens in one European country. But in the United States, if something happens in Texas or something happens in New York, we, the whole country is punished. The whole country is blamed. The United States, another mass shooting in the United States. Guns okay. is a blame. Gun is a blame, right? You say. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the gun went into the school and started shooting people. It grew legs. The, the gun grew a teenager attached to it and then went and shot a bunch of people. It doesn't work that way. It's, you know, so firstly, if you want to compare statistics from, uh, let's say, Switzerland to the United States, you have to compare Switzerland to each individual United States. Or if you want to compare uh, Brazil to the United States, you have to you have to compare Brazil to California, then separately to Texas, to Nevada, Arizona, Kentucky, you know. Uh, Idaho, Iowa, you, you got to break them up because the United States is 50 countries. So this, this comparison that the media loves to use is that the United States has this many mass shootings and no other country has it. That's because the United States is 50 countries. You understand? So of yeah. course the, num the numbers right. are going to be astronomically higher than any other country because we're astronomically bigger as a country than just about any other country as far as numbers of people and population go. So you, if you want to say, oh, China has this many mass stabbings or shootings or whatever, then and compared to the U.S., you know, the U.S. is much higher. Well, you have to, again, break it down individually by, by state. So it's an unfair comparison. Oh, in, let me ask you this. In, in other countries also, they do not categorize the same way that we do here, right? In Hong Kong. Right. Right, 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 right. Well, in the U.S., in I think 2010 or 2011. 2012. 2012. Yeah, they changed, they changed the legal terminology of what a mass shooting is. Yeah, it was, it was, it was 2012, Department of Homeland. Uh, yeah. FBI. Mm -hmm. right. And they so come up with the recommended solutions of their own high fight, uh, right. proposed that lockdown at schools environment, right? So that's, that's they came up with that run high fight because they figured that, you know, and, and then come up with this um, active shooter uh, terminology, you know. Right, right. So it, most of these mass shootings that we see in the U.S. that are termed mass shooting and classified as mass shootings, they're actually probably gang shootings. Um, they're, you know, gang versus Nobody talks gang. about that. Let's talk about nobody that. Talk, nobody talks about the gang shootings. In the 90s, when in the, in the late 80s and 90s, when crack cocaine was hitting the streets and the gangs were pushing crack cocaine everywhere, gang gang violence and gang warfare and gang shootings was on every headline everywhere. If you scroll back through time and you find headlines from the eighties and nineties about gang violence, you'll see that, that, that no one's calling them mass shootings. They're calling it gang violence. This many people shot, this many people stabbed, 
in gang violence. We're not calling it gang violence anymore. We call it all mass shooting now. Because why? Because it fits the political agenda of gun control, of pushing for gun control. Stay right there. Stay right there. Because I think that's very important. Nobody talks about that. Just what you just said. Nobody talks about that. Because it has the terminology of active shooter. They say it's a person, it's an individual, engages is attempting to kill people in a confined, like an enclosed space or populated area. We've seen this, right? Yeah. Like the, the right. Las Vegas massacre, the, uh, the, the marathon bombing, right? The uh, bunch of the workplaces. Um, here in California, there's, there's quite, quite, quite a bit, right? Yeah. Multiple. Zero. Um, Zero and then they, company. Right. Active shooter typically use firearms and have no pattern. So like you said, like we said all, all the time, randomly to their selection of the victims. And then this is what they... After a certain point. Okay. Yes. Okay. So this, this is something also that I have a big problem with, with the classification of active shooter or mass shooting is they, they really quickly don't talk about why the active shooter picked this particular place and the first one or two people that got shot. So what happens a lot of times psych- psychologically with the shooter is they go in, they say, oh, I'm going to go in and I'm going to kill this guy because he did this thing that's wrong to me. It's a specific person that they're going for, a girlfriend, ex-wife, uh, boyfriend, whatever it is. They're, they're targeting one, one or two specific people. And they go in, they shoot that person. And then they, then they also realize either before or after this point that now I'm going to end up spending life in prison. So why not just go to the, to the end? Let's just shoot it out. If I'm going to get life in prison for one, I'm going to take as many with me as I can, or I'm going to shoot until the police shoot me. Right. Mm. And, and we, we've seen that even here in Thailand, we had the terminal 21 mass shooting. If you want to look it up, terminal 21 is a shopping mall in Korat, Thailand. Uh, and a guy, uh, guy went on a mass shooting. How recent was that? It was a couple of years ago. It was right before COVID. It was just before COVID. And, uh, this guy, he was a, a army guy, Royal Thai Army guy, and he he had taken a loan from his commanding officer to help his mother pay for the house, uh, to pay for her house. And he felt that the interest rate was wrong or there was some sort of financial wrongdoing there, and he was being taken advantage of by his commanding officer. So he shot the commanding officer and another guy in a car and then went off and and was went on a shooting spree after that point, because in Thailand, the military will take justice into its own hands at a certain point, And the police will also, you know, take justice into their own hands at a certain point, And probably it would have shot him. He more than likely would have been killed uh, by the military or by the police uh, after shooting his commanding officer. Uh, so he went on a shooting spree um, and went and killed the, the mother of the officer that wronged him and then went into uh, a military installation, uh, shot a guard at the armory, stole a bunch of weapons and explosives from the armory, stole a military vehicle and proceeded to shoot at anything that moved all the way to Terminal 21 shopping mall in Korat, Thailand. And then he shot he shot everybody that that he saw 
and he was he was live feeding it right he was on facebook live yeah, uh, why do you do that that is so sick why because nobody listened to them before they started pulling the trigger yeah now everybody's paying attention right so it's a, was, it's a sensation kind of thing right it's more like hey look at me like this it's, kind of thing. it's a justification it's a justification. Validation I, had, of him. Right. I had to do this because you people don't listen to me and nobody would help me. Now I'm shooting all of you because none of you would help. That's the same. Right. That takes, so takes a village to raise a child. But if, if that child is not raised by the village, he goes out and shoots the whole village up. Right. So, you know, it, I don't know. It, this, this is what he did. And then, you know, he held, he, went into the shopping mall and held a bunch of people hostage for quite a long time. And then, uh, got it. Then finally at seven hours later, the, the Thai commandos, uh, military commandos went in and killed him. So, uh, it, yeah, mass shootings happen in other places. And then a couple months after that, we had another mass shooting where, a a, a guy who worked at his school went to a jewelry store and shot uh, five or seven people at this jewelry store that was inside of a shopping mall, and and then ran away, and then ran away. But he was targeting some of the people there, and nobody knows why he was targeting the people there. He won't tell anybody who he targeted and why, but he was targeting somebody there because it, it of just, a perceived yeah. wrongdoing. So all, all of these mass shootings we're seeing in the U.S., there's a reason the shooter picks this location. There's a reason that the, the shooter picks the first or second person that they shoot. It's not random. They're not rolling the dice and saying Walmart, H-E-B, or, or Safeway, or Albertsons, which grocery store am I going to go shoot up? It's not a roll of the dice. They, they're making a conscious decision to do what they're doing, and and then they go for it. And usually it's because someone there perceivably wronged them or, you know, or they blame the business for something or, you know, or the group that they're targeting is there. So this, this kind of thing is, it, it, it needs to be addressed. It needs, it to, does. Be it needs to be addressed. You know, I want to remind you that you and I basically, I mean, you, you grew up basically in Texas, um, yeah, Somewhere around there, right? Around that. I don't know where it is, but but I grew up in Houston um, since yeah. I was four years old. I grew up mostly around Austin, and uh, I and lived in San Antonio for a couple of years. And but my my dad is uh, was in Pecos, Texas, Reeves County, which is very close to El Paso, Midland, Odessa. It's a small it's community. I'm, I'm very, assuming, very, right? small, very, very small, small. Very small. Yeah, very small. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is just a horrific, you know, my heart goes immediately to the parents and the teachers, teachers, because, you know, as you already know, this kind of thing, it's, it's, it's a huge trauma follow up after that, right? The trauma. Right. Um, right. It has and happened in our, yeah, it has happened in our, uh, in, in the backyard of our, my backyard here too. In, in fact, at the school that both of my kids went to. Um, it, it, you know, killed, killed a couple of, why, so why do they pick schools? Why do they pick schools? They pick schools because they're easy targets. Easy, soft, soft targets. Exactly. Soft targets. And this, this guy could have picked this school because, uh, 
either one of the teachers wronged him, right? Or Could be. because or because somebody else that wronged him had a sibling going to this school. Right. Right. I can't go to the high school and, and shoot you because they've got security, they got metal detectors. So I'll right. go to exactly. your little brother's school and shoot Elementary him. school doesn't have it. I think it's time for us. It, school districts have money, right? They they I, I, I overheard now I was reading an article just now before we uh, started this this talk. Um, there's billions and billions of dollars. Every school in the United States have a uh, budget for the uh, COVID thing, COVID vaccination or COVID, just yeah. COVID budget. Billions are being unspent. So, I mean, you know, I don't think there is a shortage when it comes to funding or budget or money. I think schools have to consider putting those metal detectors, just like at the airports, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of the elementary. Anything that has schools, schools, public when, schools, public like, schools. Like I told you before, when I went to school in in Austin, Texas, I went to public school for a little while before I went to go live with my, my father. I was in private school, uh, private Christian schools for for a while. And then I went to public school for a little bit and then uh, went to go live with my dad in West Texas and go to public school there. When I was in Austin, going to school in Austin, um, they had the Austin Independent School District Police. So they had two officers in every school. One was a uniform. Yeah, uniformed officers. One was a truancy officer, and the other one was the dare officer. And their whole purpose in being was to interact with the children in a positive manner and know who was the troublemakers and who wasn't and what to watch out for, and then solve the problems that arose on campus before they became these kind of problems. And they were great. They served a wonderful role. But then, you know, some parents said, oh, we don't like seeing police officers with guns in school. Uh, And, you know, and then, of course, the the local governments started saying things like, well, we want to cut funding for the school district police and use the funds for something else. And so they cut, they cut those, those uh, police department jobs, which was foolish. Oh yeah. Foolish. Exactly. Um, Over here you know, also. Yeah. And I've, I've been against it from the beginning, from the very beginning, because kids get into all kind of mischief. And they need someone in the position of authority that is that can be there to stop them before they get into the foolishness and that they know is the person of authority and they won't do it when they're around, right? And, and I, got, I got in so many fights in school. I was bullied to no end. I was a skinny little kid with a bad haircut and secondhand clothes. <laughs> I cannot imagine well, that. No way. <laughs> yeah. And so I, and I was two years younger than everybody in my class because I went from a private school uh, to a public school. I tested out two years ahead of everybody else. That, that, that's what we did too, my family. So yeah, I know what so, you mean. <laughs> well, I was younger, I was smaller, and I was an easy target. And I got bullied by everybody, all the bigger kids, especially when I got into high school. And, and, you know, if the police officers had still been around at that time, it would have been nice to have somebody there that looking out 
for the kid that's being bullied and it's able to speak up and, and step in in a legal capacity to say, look, you can't do this. And not a teacher. Teachers have no legal authority. They have no legal authority over over a child or a parent in, in a situation there. They're not police. They're not even security guards. They're not even trained psychologists. So they're presenter uh, of a, a material education materials, right? Educated, yeah, basically. Yeah, they they're there to to present material to, to kids to see what interests them, to see what they have a more natural ability to learn, and to give them an overview of, of educational material that is required for to be a good worker. Yes. But, you know, I want to go back again to what I've been saying at the workshop, at the community workshop, especially when I do this uh, under IDARE or even, you know, um, to, you know, to businesses and things like that, right? When we talk about educating, educating our kids um, to know what to do, right? Okay. I mean, we educate ourselves too, obviously, right? We take, we take training, yeah. Um, you know, be our first responders, basically, right? In the in the in the first you know few seconds when you know bad things happen. I mean, I'm not talking about like little kids' elementary schools to know that, but I think it's 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 valid to say. I think it's valid to say, hey, you know what? Perhaps now I think the curriculum needs to change the way that you know very outdated education system that we have here in the United States. I think we should we should like teach our kid, you know, maybe even have a knowledge base kind of information about, you know, how, what to do in, in the event of disasters. You know, I'm big with this, uh, whether it's natural disasters, earthquake here in California or East Coast, let's say snowstorm, things like that, thunderstorm, hurricane. When those things gonna happen, or man-made disasters like active shooting disasters, right? What what to do? You know, well, sure. You know. You know, sure. maybe we should teach our kids. Maybe we should, you know, definitely teach the te teachers. Look. You know, we used to have a we used to we used to have a, a home economics class. Home economics or or home home economics class taught kids how to cook, how to sew, how to clean, how to do all these foundational based things. We used to have the shop classes where kids learn how to fix cars and fix things that were broken. So why can't we have? Exactly. Uh, prepared, a preparedness class. Preparedness. Prepared. Nobody talks about that. You know, I, you know, schools here, local schools, shut the doors on me and say, oh, we don't need it. We already have uh, the earthquake drill. We just what? You, you hear the door, um, you hear the, the, the bell rings and it's time for us to march outside. And that's the earthquake. Okay, drop, roll and cover. Okay, whatever, right? But how often do they do that? Once a year maybe? But no, I'm talking about earthquake preparedness. I'm talking about uh, the run hide fight, maybe even even have a better response, improve the better response strategies in in, in any way. Right. Customize it accordingly to the size of your school, the size of your classroom, the size you know where you are. You know because every school is going to be different. Every school has its own characters. Every school has its own demographics, right? Of the kids, right. you know. Um, there's no one size fits all solution. We already know that, right? But 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 this this. Um, response strategies uh, that that we were being blessed about you know by the dhs and and you know um the fbi you know came up with this or fema rather also the run hot fight and said okay uh this is a recommended solution of run hot fight okay it, it it gives us you know this is a response strategy options based strategy for school 
you know, school active shooter events, you know, incidents, you know, tragic, if it, if it happens, right? Um, you know, we, we, we have to know what it is, right? If you run, um, you know, where are you going to go? You run, right? If you choose that, right? If you hide, you're going to barricade yourself. Where are you going to hide, right? If you fight, that's going to be the last resort. How are you going to deal with that? How are you going to do with that? I mean, all of these things, but I still think that those things, the run, hide, fight, it's not enough. It's not enough. It's not no, enough. There needs to be a level of preparedness by the school. I, I, don't, I don't really feel that metal detectors and all that stuff are, are conducive to learning environment, you know, but um, I do feel that community policing would go a long way um, as far as having police officers or, or highly, very, very well-trained armed security with some level of of authority in the school yep, um, I agree. Would, be, would be beneficial. Um, I also think that their parents should be very involved in what their children are learning and what's going on in school. And parent I agree with days, that one too. Parent teacher days should be given. Uh, parent teacher, uh, teachers should be, uh, sorry, parents should be given time off from work to go see their kids at school and see what's going on in their school, right? They shouldn't be penalized if they have to take time off from work to go uh, have a parent teacher day. Right. And right. Exactly. Exactly. We talked about this some as well, that America as a whole, most people get 14 days a year vacation time. Right. So, one, that's, uh, if you look at the rest of the world, most other countries, especially European countries, it's one month or two months a exactly. year that they can take off. Two months, and, I've heard. I, I don't know which, which European country that is, but yeah, two months, I've heard. Yeah. That's so, incredible. <laughs> Versus April, the U.S., only 14 days out of, <laughs> 14 days out of 365 days, minus uh, Christmas. Yeah. Minus Christmas and, and, and New Year, so just two days, so sixteen days, sixteen days. And basically. if you look, if you look at uh, France and Italy and all these kind of things, the work, the work ethic and the work style is is different. It's at a much more relaxed speed and relaxed pace, and you see it in their mentality and the way that they think and process things. Uh, they're much more, usually much more relaxed and much more uh, chill than American people are. Americans are stressed all the time so 14 days most americans don't take all 14 days at once they'll take you know three or four at a time because they have to do some family related thing right um and then when you do when americans do take vacations even if they took all 14 days at once what are they doing they're trying to cram in as much stuff that they needed to get done but couldn't get done because they were at work they're trying to cram that all in during their vacation time, right? So home repair, uh, getting all your kids sorted sorted out, you know, uh, traveling to see family and getting the car fixed. You know, it, it becomes more stressful. It does. Because right. you're trying to catch up on all the things that you couldn't do because you were too busy working for someone else. So there, we need to find a way to fix this. Um, I'm... I'm not, I'm just saying people need more days off. People need more vacation days. Um, 
And there's they don't a lot of cooperation, though, Dave. Uh, there's a lot of cooperation that's already implementing, deploying, you know, health and wellness into their program. You know, <laughs> excuse me, the, the HR and the cooperation uh, is a must for them to walk. You know, during the during the during the lunch break or even addition of, you know, there's two two little session, 15 minutes, 15 minutes by state of California, state of, I don't know, any other state, but instead of California, you have to have 15 minutes in the morning and 15 minutes in the, uh, in the uh, afternoon, right? And then plus a lunch break of one hour. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's a mandatory for you to now health and wellness to walk and then to report that. And then they, they, they compensate you, you know, like they give you like little, little card, I like to thank you that you've already achieved your, you know, things like that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, know, still, it's still not enough. It's Look, not enough, we, right. That's, we, that's we, exactly my point. It's not enough because the 14 days, really, the 14 days is too much. I mean, I call this exhausted United States of America because we're all chasing money, right? I, I don't. Right. A, a lot of people do. A lot of people chase money. But then I, I also see, uh, I don't know what the percentage of it, right? And people are just paycheck to paycheck and then that's what oh, not even. described earlier you know people they're not even living paycheck to paycheck they're they're in a cycle of continuous debt that they might have cash for two weeks out of the month and then they're on credit cards right that's a lot of people they're two weeks out of the month and they're on with some cash in their in their pockets and then they're on credit cards Wow. And then they're trying to, then they get their paycheck again and they pay off the two weeks of debt from before. And then they're two weeks having some cash. And they, that's how it goes in the States right now. So are and you then, saying, so, but you're saying that the government is, is programming it that way, right? I mean, you know, the marketing of, look, of, of right. the, the credit this, cards and all of this thing is all, uh, no, is look, part of the ecosystem of all the spiral, correct? Yeah, that's, it's a big part of the problem. And a big part of the problem is the people who decide the price of things. Okay. There's a lot of people who are deciding the price of things and that's inflation. That's part of it, but devaluation of services, devaluation of, of personal time and, and all of these kind of things. So you need to look at where we're placing our values. We need to look at what, what we're paying so much for that we don't need to pay so much for. Gas here in Thailand is actually relatively cheap compared to the U.S. It's very cheap compared to the U.S. And if you look at places like Dubai and the, and the UAE, their gas is super cheap. Russia, super cheap. Why? Because they produce their own gas. Self, self-sufficient. Not, not just self-sufficient, but it's a locally produced thing. Locally produced. Well, why, why do we got to pay out the butt for it? So mm-hmm. America, we can produce our own fuel. That's another topic of conversation, a whole lot of conversation there. You know how I feel about that. But it adds, <laughs> it adds to all the inflation. Yep. We, can, we can produce our own fuel. So we can then bring the, bring the, the, the price points down for the fuel. If we're not importing it, but we've done these huge business deals with these other countries. Uh, Ukraine is one of them, right? Where we're importing fuel from Russia and Ukraine and, and the Arab Emirates and, and uh, Saudi Arabia, you know, so we're, we're importing all of this fuel, millions and millions of tons of fuel every month. 
being imported into the United States when a lot of it can be produced locally and we can drive the price down, re reduce stress on the individual family, reduce stress on the parents, allow the parents to spend more time with their children. It all boils down to that, what you just said. Allow, allow the children to spend more time learning from their parents and their grandparents and take some stress off of the school teachers as well. And we need, we need more schools, not just more teachers. We need more schools to reduce the number of students in the classroom. There shouldn't be more than 15 students in a classroom. I agree with that. The numbers need, ratio should be 15. And it should be one teacher for every five students. Yes, I agree with that. So let, me, let me ask you this quickly before I forget. In Thailand, in, in Thailand, at some schools, what they do is they have the, the, the lead teacher and then they have one or two assistant teachers based on the number of kids in the classroom. Just like how we, are, we, we do in the, <laughs> on the uh, uh, what do you call that, out there in the range, right? Let me, uh, right. Let me uh, yeah, let me ask you this. Yeah, because that's the, the good effective you know, interaction. Um, before I forget, what are, what are your thoughts in the future of schooling uh, with our next generation? Because I, you know, the more that we, we, we are being cornered about all of these things, right? And people are making scare, concern of the family. I mean, the parents, like, you know, I, I'm hearing it from everybody. You know, I don't have kids anymore, okay? But my friends who have kids, um, I, I've been hearing their voices and they said, you know, their insights are like, Oh, I don't want to take my, my kids to school. I'm, I'm happy with homeschool. Uh, well, my neighbors, fine. for example. Do homeschooling. Hmm? Homeschooling's great. Yeah, right, right. Online so, schooling doesn't work. I'll right. tell you that. So right. that, that's what they're saying. It's like, you know, you, even if we were to, to go as a, as a public school, and then some, some parents are willing to part money, uh, spend that, that money on the private schooling because they, oh. they, they feel like it's a quality, right? Uh, and then right. safety. I I just think that what's going to happen, let's say in 10 years, let alone five years, what's going to happen in the next less than a decade in the school system? Because if the school system, oh, our yeah. education system is not getting a grip, not 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 paying attention to all of these things, right? And because we, we have a lot of warnings in every school. Come on, you know, active shooters here and there, school, school. Now, hitting the grocery stores, not hitting the, uh, um, where else is that, uh, movie theaters and all of this, public places. But focus on the schools now. Uh, what are we going to do? How are we going to, what are we going to come up with solutions? I mean, what are we going to do? I mean, well, you know, uh, I, I'd be so scared if I have kids that go in school right now. And I'll be going like, oh, my God, I'm not going to send, I might not see my kids when I get home today, when, when they finish school today, you know? All of this craziness. I mean, I'm just thinking well, a lot right now. Also, so we, we used, they've started some community school related projects in other, in other uh, cities. I think there's in Detroit, Michigan, they started the, uh, the big dads. Uh, yes, program yes, 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 yes. And in okay. Chicago, they also have a dads in school program. So there's, the, there's a lot of, dads that ha have the time and the ability to go and be in the school and and you know they wear a shirt the t-shirt signifying that they're there as a volunteer helping out in the school and they're interacting with the kids and they're they're solving problems and and it's great right they're making sure kids are in the classrooms on time and they're, they're helping the teachers and 
so many different volunteering, things. Volunteering, right. Volunteering. A lot of schools in America will not allow parents in the school or in the classroom because they don't want parental interference in what's going on in the school. I think that's hogwash. I think we need more parents in the school. I think we need more parents interacting with the children. Um, and grandparents, come on, we need grandparents. If you're retired and you got nothing better to do and you want to help out in a school, you should be legally allowed to go and volunteer in a school. Depending on the yeah, depending on the neighborhood, depending on the neighborhood that you live in demographically, no. there's a lot of like moms, stay-home moms. Like in my area, right? There's a lot of stay-home moms. A lot of yeah. stay-home moms. And then so where, do, where do we need it most? We need it most in in the lower income communities, middle class and lower income communities, where both parents are working full time jobs and probably part time jobs on their day off from their full time job. So we need we need more adult to children interaction in schools from a parental or grand parental uh, point of view. More guidance, you know. More guidance, yeah. 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 And I think, you know, you know as, as a kid, I remember that, you know. We need more strong communities. That's what we need. I was going to say. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, th I think the community, it would, you, you know, you talk about community. And then you and I know about this because you're a parent, right? You, you, you got kids. Um, yeah. I'm a grandma. I just saw my grandson <laughs> last weekend. <laughs> I shared with you my, my. But, but, you know, all of these things that we're heading to in, in the future, we already we already in it now. It's just a matter of time. It's going to go, you know, boom, just like the internet, right? The www, the metaverse, the the web 3.0, the the you know the uh, the metaverse where everybody just go floating into this. Um, I, I have problems. I have problems with the metaverse, and, and I'll, I, I'll I do tell too. You I do I too. It allows, it allows parents to be lazy, one. It allows parents to be lazy. Uh, it allows them to say, oh, hey, uh, you're at home. I'm at home, but I have things I want to do. And let me just put you in this metaverse. Let me put you in front of the TV. Let me put you in some VR goggles. Let me put you in front of the video game and then walk away and go do whatever I want to go do. How so, easy can that be bridged? It can be bridged, right? <laughs> sure, you just turn it off. No, I mean security you know? of it. I mean, I always have a problem. Oh, with yeah, 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 yeah. But, but, but you on. and anything, I... Anything, anything made by man can be hacked by man. Uh, yeah, can be hacked by a man. Yeah, I agree with that. But you and I know this because you, you are also outdoor enthusiasts, and so am I, very greatly. And then we're pretty much, you know, first responders and... Uh, you know, safety is always number one for us, and you know, hell accountable. Uh, you know, we, we think of our kids like, what if something happens? Would they know how to take care of themselves? And that's, a, that's always, always the first thing in my mind when, I, when I'm looking at today's generation. It's like, would they know how to take care of themselves? What? They're going to go wife, look at their phone and then call 911 or, 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 or scream at the phones like, help. Yeah. They have yeah. no idea. So I, I'm trying to say, is so so much lacking of just preparedness mentality, you know the complacency, the 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 oh nobody, somebody else. Mm -hmm. 
nobody has time to pay attention to anything. It's everybody else's job or responsibility to do things. And, and it's not just, I'm not just talking about parenting. I'm not just talking about, you know, whatever it, it, it relates to so many aspects of life. People are so busy now caught in the daily grind in the, in the system of wake up, go to work, come home, go to sleep, wake up, go to work. They're, they're stuck in it and pay bills in between and, and try to occasionally squeeze in a little fun here and there that, that they can't pay attention to the things that truly matter. Everything from elections to what your kids are learning in school to who the teachers are in the school. I, I, I'm very, if I see a teacher that's doing something or showing my kids something that's inappropriate, oh, they're going to know about it. Mm-hmm. They're going to know about it real soon. And, and I'm going to move my kid. I'm probably going to move my kid real quick and out of that school um, and find another way to do it. And like we were doing, we were doing online teaching here during COVID. So the kids had to sit in front of a computer screen and the parents had to sit next to them and forced him to pay attention to this teacher. That's trying to talk over 20 other kids on a zoom chat. Okay. With the kids, the kids are there. The parents are in the background. The rest of the family's in the background. Everybody's making a ton of noise and the teacher's trying to talk over it. And I just leaned in and I said, Hey, this ain't working. You guys need to figure out something else or I'm just going to teach them myself. And that's actually what we ended up doing. You know, the kids would sign in. We'd figure out what the work assignment was. We'd turn off the sound for the computer. He's there on the screen, but we're doing the work assignment, me, me or my wife, mostly my wife, doing the work assignment with the kid. We're homeschooling the kid with a little bit of guidance from the teacher. And that's the only way we could get them to learn anything. And the only reason we could do that is because of COVID, because of lockdown. We weren't out busy trying to chase the money and find the money and, you know, work whatever crazy jobs we could work. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, that's, <laughs> that's the way it is right now. This system that we have now is so broken. It's so messed up. It's like, how can we fix this? system maybe we need a new system because it's got to be at least one parent staying home with the kid grand a grandparent or grandparents would be fantastic to, to be there to take care extended family members we got to have community we got to build back the community got to build back the family unit it's totally destroyed and it's this this destruction of the family unit is contagious and it's spreading throughout the world not just not just the U.S. It's not just Thailand. It's spreading throughout the world. You just see it breaking down. Boom, 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 boom. And why is it breaking down? Economics. Because the cost of everything is going up. It's so true. Yeah. And nobody really takes care of that. You know. I mean, nobody really. We got, we got to fix the economics. We got to put economics, these exactly. price makers in check. Right. Yeah. So. Um, these oh, it's so sad. But you know, politicians I, that are deciding on the on on the cost of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just big business; it's politicians that are uh, allowing these big businesses to do the things they're doing because they the politicians are getting paid by big business to do these things too. So, uh, so we got to mm-hmm. put all this stuff in check. 
Yeah, uh, but sadly, sadly, um, you know, this incidents, active shooting, mass shooting, are really becoming part of the daily landscape of, of our communities here in the U.S. and homeland. Um, you know, it was never like this before, right? We, we always say that. It was never like this before. I mean, how, when can this, you know, discontinue and all of this? Because I don't know if you recall, um, the active shooter incident had originally came from the European country, For you, if I'm not mistaken, at Kenya University. I think that was the very first that was, um, that was reported. Let me see if I can. I know that I've been talking about that um, when um, history of this military base, history of active shooter incident, active shooter history. I believe it was in in a, in a university campus, if I'm not mistaken, in Kenya, if I'm not mistaken, or something like that. Hold on, let me see if I can get. Um, humans sure. have always killed humans, and we've always engineered new and exciting ways and tools and methods of doing it. Humans have always killed humans. What everybody fails to forget is that humans are the alpha predator on this entire planet. We are the one thing that develops new tools, tactics, and techniques for killing other things, whether it's chickens or people. Mm-hmm. And we, we have a tendency to do it in math. It's so terrible. You know what I mean? It's just so terrible. Well, yeah. Well, the, the, real, the real weird thing is, is that we forget that we're predators. Yeah, true. Okay, so we need to keep that in check. Um, we are predators. Every every human preys on something. Even your vegetarian, vegan, they they're preying on. They're, they <laughs> right. they have something they have to consume in order to to survive. So, uh, you know, it's <sighs> this is why people say, oh. Uh, I don't want to own a gun because I'm not a violent person. Well, you might not be, but I can, I can guarantee you somebody around you is, and you're going to interact with one of those people at some point in your life. And it's better to be prepared than than not. Exactly. That's what I say. Um, It it was a 1986 USPS shooting Patrick Kennedy. Um, 14 employees with two forty-five caliber pistol, Oklahoma. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for um, outside the United States. This one in Sunnyvale, 1988. Well, they had they had one in, I want to say, Switzerland or Norway. And Norway, yeah, Norway was yes, exactly. Well, this guy, mm-hmm. this guy went and he had a Ruger Mini 14. And it was more of a Oslo, political Oslo, attack. Norway. Yeah. Right. More of a political attack than anything. He he was sick of the elites and he decided to go after their children on when they were on an island retreat. And he planned this whole thing out. Yeah, he, yeah. I, I I this is what I, I always put in include my um my talk when it comes yeah. to active shooter thing. Um, Garissa University College attack in Kenya. 2015, 148 yeah, that, people. The 148, one, yeah. Okay, 148, that's pretty huge. I mean, 
That's big. Yeah. It, it is a, it's a Somali Islamist group uh, yeah. committed. Yeah, terror attack. Okay. Religious slash political attack. Yes, it is. And then Pakistan, 2014. And then yeah. France, Paris, 2015. 130 people killed. Uh, yeah. November, yeah, 2015. ISIS, I think it was. Uh, mass shooting in the U.S. Uh, we already know that. And there's so many of them. Um, yeah. well, so everybody's like, oh, well, we need to ban guns. If they don't have guns, how are they going to kill people? Exactly. Um, so here, kill- yeah, here's the top 10 of the mass shooting, the deadliest mass shooting in history. Kenya was number one, as I said, right? 2015, 148. School massacre, Pakistan, 149, 2014. November yeah. 2015, Paris, uh, 130. 2011, Norway attacks in Oslo, 77 people killed. Uh, yeah. Kenya again, shopping mall, 67 people got killed in 2013. Yeah. And then Las Vegas massacre, 58 people got killed. I thought it was more than that. Uh, that was back in 2017. South Korea shooting um, 56 people, 1982. Um, right. And New Zealand, New Zealand, uh, 2019, that was in a mosque. 51 right. people got killed. Orlando nightclub. In 2016, 49 people got killed. Uh, Tunisia, oh my gosh, Tunisia. So say Tunisia, Tunisia, 38 people got killed in 2015. So the, 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 those are the ones that I, um, yeah, that and Port Arthur massacre in Australia, 1996, 35 people, uh, and then Virginia Tech, uh, 32 people got killed, 2007, uh, Beijing, 1994, 28 people, uh, Sandy Hook. Connecticut, 2012, 27 kids. Church in Spring, Texas in 2017, 26. Uganda, 1994, 26 people got killed. Another one shooting in Texas, killing 1991, 23. El Paso, Walmart, 2019, 22. Canada got killed too in 2020 during pandemic, uh, 22 people. California, 21. Mexico, UK, 1996, um, 17 people got killed. Germany in t- 2002, 17 people got killed. Columbine, 15. I mean, all of this, but but the biggest one was in Kenya and then the Pakistan one and Oslo right. and Paris. So um, this is just bad. <laughs> Very right. bad. But um, even if you take away guns, mm-hmm. humans will find a new creative and inventive way to kill each other in mass. Yeah. It, it, it's the mind. It's the mind. You can't control that. It's the mind. Right. You know, it's the psychology of the person or the people. Right. Right. I, I, I took a course uh, with FEMA. Is a, is a, is a 2000, what was it? Before I start, you know, they, they, they provided like back in 2012, they provide this um, active shooter you know, preparedness training kind of thing. So I took it right the course. Um, a lot of it focused on that, on the on the on the on the mindset, the protection, of course. You know, recognizing indicators that, you know, if somebody's already in the pathway to violence, right? Um, the yeah. stressors play the importance. I mean, they, they were focusing more in the in the workplace at, at a business. Um, yeah. You know, and we, we we haven't even started to talk about. Alcohol, drug abuse. Exactly. Uh, that too. Psych- we, we psychotropic medications. 
And and a lot of that has to play into it as well. You yes. get all these kids on antidepressants, uppers, yes. downers, you know, mood and mind altering drugs. And the schools yes. are prescribing them now. The these these uh I don't know what you call them, health and wellness uh counselors at the school can now prescribe medication. Really? <laughs> yes. And you don't Crazy. need and they don't even need to notify you. Wow. The parents, you mean? Wow. Yes. That's crazy. Yes. That's crazy. Yeah. And I was, mm, yeah. Wow. I, I, have, I have friends that send me uh, videos of Zoom calls between teachers. I was telling you about this before. Between teachers. And one of them is about, there, there's one video that's about, 12 teachers on a Zoom call and what they're doing is they're discussing how to basically tell the parents to shut up and go away when they are trying to groom their children to be gay uh, or to be transgender. And we're talking (laughs) prepubescent children. Okay, so Uh, and the age groups that they were talking about were nine and below. And, and so I'm watching the video and it is a man that looks like a woman. Okay. So a trans man that looks like a woman. There's a lesbian woman. There's a trans woman that looks like a man, but sounds like a woman. There's a, there's a gay metrosexual guy who's wearing more more makeup than uh, I don't even know, wearing a ton of makeup. Um, and this is all of them are, are this way. And these are they're they're getting in on. They're not from the same school. They're not from the same state. They're all getting online together and they're having these Zoom meetings about how to find a way to legally shut the parents out from the classroom and from the decision-making process of what gets taught in the classroom and how to groom children to become gay or transgender or whatever, right? They're trying to make more people to be like them instead of allowing them to decide naturally by themselves, you know, what they want to be when they grow up. Right, so there's a level of influence from the uh, direct influence from the parent. Yeah, I see what you mean in the environment. From the teacher, teachers have no business being involved in a check in a child's sexual development. Their mental perception of their sexual development. The teachers have no business being involved. Now, what what they were spending a lot of time talking about was how to tell children. They are probably gay or probably transgender, and they should try it out. Wow. And don't tell your parents. Don't talk to your parents. Come (laughs) talk to me. You can talk to me about anything. I'm not your parent. I'm not going to punish you for anything. But this is in the United States, right? You're talking about this is in the U.S. U.S. Um, It's the same similar kind of, you know, situation where the vaccination i'm hearing because i again i don't have any kids at school so i don't i don't know i'm not really tapping into this kind of thing right 
Um, but yeah, when, when I hear about that, the vaccination, and then now that you're telling me about this, it's, it's mind boggling. Wow. Yeah. So, and yeah, they're now they're, they're telling there, the kids, no oh, right. we can give you, we can give you the kids. vaccine. We can give you the vaccine without your parents' consent. Yeah, as I parents' consent. Exactly. So and and access to this. this. I, I, I have my thoughts on that. My thoughts are my if you're going to give my kids things that may be harmful to them in the long term, then I'm going to come do something to you that may be harmful in the long term. Okay. So now you start to understand why maybe someday a parent's going to go on a mass shooting at a school and go after teachers who are doing exactly. that for their children. So they, they need to start to listen. They need to start to wisen up or sooner or later, there's going to come a reckoning. One, one type of reckoning or another, either legal or physical. So, and the last thing anybody wants is uh, physical violence in the school against teachers with children present. That is so, just so not, not good. You know, this modern, modern world that we live in, I think we're doing it backwards rather than going forward. With well, it. Um, super backwards. Yeah, super backwards. It's like a blender. It's like yeah, a, exactly. it in a blender. I, before I forget, I, I know this is a whole lot of conversation. You and I are really, um, you know, really, really close with this topic, situational awareness. But I think I, I, I still think that practical situational awareness in this, in this chaotic world like we live in today, it's, it, it really, it, it, it can be really a great tool to have. And I, this is something that's easy to teach, um, easy to implement, and it should be um, part of the lifestyle. I think it can save our lives as well. Um, you know, situational awareness that, you know, gradually as, as the child, you know, develop. Um, because as you already know, uh, the, the school that we, we go to, I don't want to mention the school's name. Um, you know, my, my son now, who's 26, um, we've been taking him there when he was only like five years old to study the situational awareness, the color code of mental awareness, the condition yellow. you got to have to, you know, wear that condition yellow, the radar, every time you're in transitional space. I mean, he's aware of that. And in fact, I would, I would, let me, let me um, share with you a story really quickly here, like 10 seconds here. I was supposed to take him out, um, take him to LAX on a Monday morning, right? 5 a.m. Normally, I do not stop at the gas station. For some reason, I have to that morning at 5 a.m. on my way, on our way to go to uh, LAX to take him to LAX. Uh, I think because we had a lot of things going on the night before Sunday night. So normally, I would put gas in my car um, the night before, the day before. But anyway, 5 a.m., we had to stop by to get a gas. So I was half awake, go inside. I usually get Starbucks, but I told him, no, 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 I'm not going to get Starbucks. I'm just going to get this, this, you know, gas station coffee. I was in the back, the back end, right? He is on the other side of the, uh, the front, the front side, right? The door is only one door at the front. Um, so when we enter, I go to the right, to the back to get coffee. He went to do whatever at the front by cashier. I saw him, I was stumbling around with my cup, my lids and all this because it's not, you know, I don't know what to do around that coffee because that's not where I go in the mornings. <laughs> but anyway, I was trying to figure out where I going to get my lid. I'm get my, which coffee do I need to take? Anyway, my son came to me rushed, in a rush, more like in a fast pace. Mom, mom, 12 o'clock. And mom, mom, one o'clock, two o'clock. What? 12 o'clock, mom. 
And I go, okay, condition yellow, mom. And I go, okay, condition yellow. That means I need to drop everything. I, I, you know, condition yellow is important for me, right? Because I teach situational awareness. As soon as he said situation, uh, as soon as he said condition yellow, 12 o'clock, I drop what I do and I look up. There is a guy with a hoodie um, facing the wall, trying to get his machine slurpy at five o'clock a.m. A slurpy. Okay. Um, and then the other guy is at one o'clock. The other guy was walking towards the other end, the corner on the other side, like really kind of like close to me, like five feet away from me. I didn't see him because there was, he was behind the, 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 uh, what do you call that? The uh, bunch of like food and stuff like that. Right. And there's a, there's an office in the back. I think he's heading out that way to the office. I don't know, but there's an office and the door was open by the coffee station. So I go, okay, here's a plan. You go straight there. Just go ahead and pay, and then I'm going to go get my coffee, and we'll pay it together, and then we'll go to the car. I, I, he, he, he sees me like, you know, my son, I'm, he already knows what I'm going to do. Let's go over there in front right now. Right now. So I got my coffee, and he's like, ma'am, you like, yeah, I'd like to pay for the coffee, and then he's going to get the gas, and then we're going <laughs> to, I was like, really like a robotic, like, I got to get out of here. And then I, I, I told him. As soon as we get out, I scan the outside just in case if there's any more rats waiting around in, in the car. So I scan to the left, I scan to the right, I scan everywhere. And I go, you go in there in the car, lock the door, and I'll just, you know, I'll do the pumping or whatever. And I told him, go get in your phone because he left his phone in the car. Go get in your phone just in case if you, if you need to, we need to call 911. Uh, I don't have my phone with me. And then so, you know, we make a plan basically. But, yeah. you know, thank God nothing happened because, you know, we only we just put the $30. I don't want to put any more money. I just put $30 only like five, five minutes, like less than five minutes for $30. Like, hurry up. If I have to go, I have to go. Um, but then I told, I told my son, um, get in the car. And I'm getting in the car while it's pumping, um, you know. And then I said, if something happens, we're just going to drive. We go like that to him. And you got to call 911 and tell him where we are. Um, but I don't. I'm telling you, this is something that because he has been taught, I've been taught, and it's something that's naturally just a an instinct. A um, it's natural, right? Yeah. So you look up something, you vision, you're already scanning the the room. He did for me. He already did it because I was stumbling around with my coffee. Thank God my son was there, by the way. Um, and he said, "Mom, condition yellow, twelve o'clock, one o'clock." <laughs> because yeah. I went, "Okay, I guess we're on." <laughs> Um, and then we made plans right away. He and I made plans right away. Uh, what are our escape plan, exit plan, basically? Uh, but I remember I scanned. I scanned as I exit out, out of that gas station. I scanned left. I scanned to the front. I scanned to the right because there is a uh, car wash on the right. And it's dark at 5 a.m., so dark. Um, and I told him, get in the car. Call 911 if you need to. And then I'm going to pump. I'm going to just pump it. And I'm going to go in the car with you. If something happens there, we see, we hear something. We're going to go. I'm going to drive away and you're going to call 911 and we're going to get into a safe place. And that's, that's how it should be, by the way. I mean, we all need to follow our innate gifts, innate, you know, like instincts and common sense. We see somebody that is like out of the ordinary, you know, with a hoodie, you know, both of them were hoodie and they're kind of shady looking. They, they look around left and right, left and right, you know, as they walk. Um, and then the guy that 
that was in the Slurpee station. It's like 5 a.m. Slurpee, really? Um, and then the other guy was pacing to, towards my, my coffee station and the office room. So, again, you collect all of the data and you go, like, this is not good. <laughs> this is not good. I don't have a weapon. This is not good. <laughs> and then the, both of their hands are in the pockets. So, yeah. we saw their hands. Their hands are not getting the Slurpee. Their hands are in the pockets. So, what are the odds? You tell me. What are the odds? Was, I'm not going to chance was- my life. <laughs> I was driving from uh, California to Las Vegas to teach firearms at front site. And um, I stopped at a McDonald's and McDonald's, I forget where it was. I just remember it was near the Bianchi holster fact, holster factory. Um, and uh, I stopped at a McDonald's near there. And uh, I went in, ordered my food, sat down and I'm watching. And this guy walks in. He goes straight into the bathroom with a small little bag, right? He goes, boom, straight in, like had his hat on, his head down, uh, you know, so the brim of the hat was shielding his face, and he walked straight into the bathroom, and he was in the bathroom for several minutes, and I told the the guy working behind the counter, I'm like, hey, man, that dude was acting shady on his way in. Why don't you go and check on him in the bathroom and see what, see what he's doing? So... The, the guy that worked behind the counter was a pretty big guy. He's a young guy. He walked in and he just said, is everything okay? And the guy said, yeah, sure. And he came out of the bathroom and he had changed his appearance. He had, he had put on a, a uh, fake mustache and he put longer hair. He came out of the bathroom and just left. Right. So he, what was he doing? He was going in there to change his appearance to get ready to rob the place. And it was just noticing the way that he walked in and went straight to the bathroom with his head down and not looking around and, and just, he had a, he, he had a purpose, right? He was walking right. with a purpose and it was a bit unusual. And the guy said, Oh my, the, the employee said, Oh my God, I think that guy was just about to rob us. So then they got on the phone and they, they called it in and they gave the cops his license plate number. They stopped that guy uh, at at the edge of the county, almost uh, out of town, I guess. And they said, uh, yeah, he had it. He had a gun. He had about five bullets in a 15 round magazine. And he was, he was probably going to try to rob the McDonald's. Wow. See, so, you got to have to follow your instinct and be situationally aware of your surrounding wherever you go. It doesn't matter. I mean, 5 a.m. I already had a gut feeling that it wasn't good. I, I have always had that gut feeling. I even told my son, that morning, and I go, I hate to stop by to get some gas. You know, I have enough gas, but I want to get more gas just in case, you know, whatever. But you know how mom is. Mom doesn't like to be in the gas station at 5 a.m. But I have to go, but we got to do it quick. So he went inside. I went inside after that. And well, I'm glad that he was with me because otherwise I wouldn't be looking at these two guys. And I don't think that's going to be the day. Never. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm glad that he was there. You know, active shooter. Uh, incidents. How long do you think um, it, on average, it lasts? In exception to the Parkland, Florida, and, and a couple other incidents as well. But how, on average, how long does it last? Oh, I would think anywhere from five to fifteen minutes tops. Oh, really? Uh, they said ten seconds. Uh oh, for an active shooter or a yes. mass shooting? The, the the shooting the shooting itself. 
Okay. So active shooter, yeah, it's going to be very short. But very mass quick. shooting, mass shooting where they're going around hunting people, yeah, it's going yeah. to be going to be a little time. bit longer. Yeah. From the time I'm talking about, from the time they're they're set foot on property till the time they they're either yeah. dead or, or oh yeah 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 it's going to take a little while right. But the shooting yeah. itself is 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 quick. Yeah, super fast, super fast. That's why that's why I have I have my rule, and I kind of mentioned this to you the other day. Um, my rule is weapons are meant to be felt, not seen in defensive, you know, when used defensively. I am not going to pull my gun out and say, get on the ground, get down, get down, get down. If I have pulled my firearm in a, in a self-defense or family defense situation or defense of a third person situation, it means all other avenues have already failed. My ability to create distance, my ability to, to converse Absolutely. with you and get you to change your behavior. Um, the police are not going to be there because they're not, they're not close enough. They're, I'm not able to call them, whatever the case may be. So all these other avenues of, of de-escalation have failed. And now I've decided I have to pull a gun and bring a firearm into the situation. For me, that means I've already consciously made the decision I'm going to shoot. I'm not consciously making the decision that I'm going to pull a gun and tell you to get on the ground and you're going to obey me because you're not. So if I, if you haven't obeyed anything else that I've said so far or asked you to do, and you haven't obeyed anybody else, you're certainly not going to obey me even with a firearm. You may run away, but you're not going to do what I tell you to do. So for me, if I pull my firearm, I've made the decision to shoot. And that means you, as a bad guy, you have about 1.5 to maximum two seconds to, to change your behavior and make a decision to save your own life. Because I'm going to be firing on you. If I have a clear exactly. shot and I have a clear background, clear back backdrop behind you, and you've done something that made me say, oh, I have to bring a firearm into this to solve this problem, you are going to be receiving rounds to your body. Right, in right. About 1.5 seconds, maybe even less. Less. Right? Mm -hmm. So more than likely less. Less in uh, the video. Is the first yeah. ten seconds in, in in this active shooting situation will really right. determine the chance of your survival. Um, that's that's why we have to have, um, you know, in our mental, um, you know, capability or training. You know how we can respond to this like run, hide, fight, or perhaps if we have other better solutions for it, right? And practice and train right. it. So I I told my my wife she just, she just started. She's working uh, as a hostess at, at an event right now for the Italian embassy hosting this big food event. And she's, she's working on the opposite side of Bangkok, which is like being on the opposite side of New York City from where you live. So um, it takes her quite a long time to get home. She finished work at 6. She was on her way home by 6.15, 6.30. She didn't get home until 9 o'clock last night. My kids go to bed at about 8.30, and my oldest is 8, almost 9. She'll be 9 at the end of this month. So I, my wife's like, I can just ride the bus, right? This is a, She's wearing high heels, a skirt, um, a very nice shirt, and fake pearl necklace, and she's wearing some jewelry. And I said, no, 
way. I, she she rode the, the SkyTrain, the BTS, which is okay because they have security at every single station. Um, and and it's well lit. And there's a, a lot of people. There's a lot of CCTV. But as soon as you come off of this the SkyTrain, the elevated train system, and you're on the street, it's very dark. It's very shady. Uh, there's a lot of creepy people out uh, in in Bangkok. And she would be an easy target. She'd be my wife can fight. She can really fight, but not so good in a in a skirt in a in a tight in a high skirt. heels. <laughs> she high had heels. to take them off <laughs> right away. Right. Well, yeah. And, and she she did take her high heels off, and she was wearing sandals. But even in in flip flops, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna fight well. You so, can't run. Yeah, you can't run fast yeah, in the flip flops. You, you can't run. You can't do a lot of things. So anyway. I, she's like, I can just take a public bus. I said, no, I will pick you up. And then, so I told my oldest daughter, look after the kids. I'll be back in, in, you know, 20, 25 minutes, 30 minutes. Look after the kids, lock the door. The kids are fine. They're safe. They've had, they're, they're ready for bed. They're in their bed. Um, and then, so I went, picked her up and she, she got in the car and she's like, why did you, come all the way here to pick me up. I said, it's dark. It's night. And she was like, Oh man, it clicked in her brain. Oh yeah. All, all the things that I've taught her before. Right. Oh yeah, you're right. Oh, I would be an easy target. And then she started telling me all the things that, that were good reasons for me to come pick her up. Right. Oh, I'm wearing a golden necklace. I'm wearing this fake pearl necklace. It looks pretty real. I'm wearing this night silk shirt i'm carrying two bags i've got high heels and and a tight skirt and i'm like yeah and you're alone you know and it's yeah. obvious that you're alone so when she was waiting for me she waited for me in front of a convenience store with bright lights and cctv and she's she's she was smart that in thailand they have what they call police boxes so there's a there's a police officer that basically sits in a box at a traffic intersection so the convenience stores right next to the police box. And when I went to pick her up, she literally walked and like, I was talking to her on the phone for four minutes before I picked her up. I'm like, I'm close. I'm getting closer. I'm behind this car. I'm behind this bus. So when you see that bus, know I'm right behind it and be ready to get in the car. And so she's sitting on the police box. Uh, it's like a little booth with the police officer inside of it. She's sitting on one of the, uh, what do you call them? The, the uh, concrete post out in front of it and uh, bouillard or whatever they call it. And, uh, and then she runs and gets in the car and we're, we're off on the way. And she's like, why did you pick me up? Uh, it's dark. And then boom, it clicked in her brain because of COVID. She hasn't worked for two years, but so this was her first time back at work. And she hadn't turned on her situational awareness to the level that it normally was. She had an, enough to know that I need to be in a well-lit place. I need to be near the police box and I need to be talking to my, my husband on the phone as he's coming to pick me up. But uh, she hadn't turned it on a hundred percent, like to evaluate herself. Oh, I'm wearing these shoes. I'm wearing this skirt. Exactly. I'm wearing this, right. So she hadn't evaluated herself. And I was very happy that after that, she evaluated herself. And today, when she went to work, she took her sport shoes and some flat shoes 
uh, wore flat shoes. She's not wearing high heels uh, all day for work. So I think a lot of it too is just kind of, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of it also that we, we just use a, you know, um, what do you call that? Um, common sense, right? But certainly practice and training will develop, um, you know, when, when we're talking about active shooter or just being out there in an open space, right? Uh, we have to be aware of the environment, obviously. Like like you said, what are we wearing? You know, what, what are we wearing? I mean, just in case if something happens, I mean, can we can we can we use the what we're wearing? You know, to be um, what kind of image are we presenting? Are we drawing positive or negative attention to ourselves? There you go, too. That too. Guys exactly. Bad guys, right? And and you can look at people, and you can you can see they, you know, they say, oh, don't profile people. Oh, I'm going to profile everybody. Why? Because it works. You can look at people, and you can you can see they wear uniforms, right? Gang members. They wear their gang colors. They wear their uniform. They dress a certain way. Uh, police officers, they dress a certain way. Uh, you know, college kids mostly dress a certain way. So everybody kind of wears a uniform. Office workers dress a certain way. Everybody kind of wears this uniform. And you can use that kind of profile people. But you need to look at yourself as well. And you say, what kind of uniform am I wearing today? And what kind of images am I presenting? Am I strong? Am I weak? Am I an easy target? Uh, you know, do I look like I give somebody a large financial return on their investment of violence against me? So <clears throat> you need to evaluate yourself, right? And uh, so, yeah, situational awareness includes evaluating, evaluating yourself and uh, what kind of situation you're putting yourself in. Really a wonderful conversation once again with a very good friend of mine, a mentor. I know it's getting late <laughs> and it's very early over there uh, in Thailand. I really appreciate you. And then you're just, you know, making available times as always. Uh, I know you're my speed dial every time when these things happen, I would speed dial you. <laughs> and also, of course, the internet now, you know, we, we can connect and communication. It just makes it so easy. Um yeah, I just want to say thank you so very much, David. And uh, we look forward to seeing you. And uh, hopefully that you can come by the U.S. soon with your children and a beautiful wife. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in person once again. I've known this guy, oh my gosh, since when? 1996, 1997. So it's been a while. Um, I've seen him, met him first when he was still a bachelor. <laughs> now, kids later and a beautiful wife, uh, family. Uh, you know, he's still rocking the same thing, you know, like helping people and saving lives out there and training, training, training. So, yeah, I'm very, very proud of all of your achievements, David Gray. Thank you so much for being here with us. Guys, our goal is to save lives. Uh, our mission is to educate and also to mobilize resources through disaster risk reduction, safety, disaster preparedness, to save lives. Bottom line, being prepared. And we encourage you, I encourage you personally to be prepared, stay prepared. And it is truly a 365 day in a year activity. Uh, it should be a lifestyle. If not yet, I think you should you know, consider to integrate that into your life. Uh, it should be your lifestyle and it should be part of your, you know, um, uh, what do you call this part of your life, daily life routine and habits. And we talk about that as an entrepreneur, right? Our world is changing and um, climate, politics, gun culture, society in a micro macro level, emergency situations can include natural disasters. We talk about 
uh, earthquakes quite often here, and then fires, wildfires in California, floods, um, you know, in Texas and hurricanes and East Coast tornadoes, uh, as well as man-made crises like toxic gas releases. We covered that as well. Chemical spills, uh, radio radioactive leaks, uh, explosions, bomb threats, uh, civil unrest, right? Workplace violence or active shooting situations. We call it here in the United States, active shooting, mass shooting. Look, we may not be 100% prepared, right, at any given emergency situation. We already know that. However, however, we, we can be um, well preparedness, through well preparedness and proper training, we may reduce the disaster risk. And that's what, where I come in. I, I, I talk about this. I, I do a lot of simulation exercises with, with the community and also with um, at the university's campuses, you know, students and clients at the business corporation uh, facilities. But guys, this is something that really, really, really crucial now. The world is changing, guys. So with today's climate, it is crucial to revisit this topic of which I have been delivering to many, many organizations, business facilities, as well as the communities my team and I have served. I have been operating under their education as well as my um, uh, grassroots nonprofits, specifically in disaster preparedness for both areas in natural and man-made disasters. Their education has been consulting many businesses, corporations, and organizations for disaster risk management, as well as we focus on natural disaster and active shooter awareness and preparedness in the past decades. Our conversations, I know this for a fact, I just a little bit different now from 20 years ago than today. You know, we sit down, now we have virtual uh, setting or virtual environment to communicate these kind of things, right? To teach and educate people uh, is a little bit different than 20 years ago, 15 years ago, right? I've been talking about preparedness for at least two decades. Unfortunately, this is a fact. People are complacent and we still need to eradicate eradicate the mentality that will never happen to us, to our country, to our business, to our you know, uh, community, to our neighborhood. This mentality is over and done. We must stay proactive and stay prepared. The caveat to this, we cannot stop the situation. We cannot stop the tragic, nor we can be 100% prepared. But we can be ahead. Certainly, we can be ahead of the game when it does occur. Awareness is key in survival situations. There's no one-size-fits-all uh, solution to this, right? But awareness is key to your survival situation. If not, you should start thinking and applying survival mindset for your own safety and self-protection. Situational awareness. I'm huge with this topic, guys. It's an important skill to learn and practice. Yes, it is teachable. You guys already have that. You guys already have the situational awareness. You just activate that. Activate, activate the radar. Activate the instinct in you that you have already have the innate power that you were born with. Your awareness skills will, however, deteriorate over time without practice. Just like any ability is perishable. You got to feed it every day. That's why I said it is 365 days uh, in a year activity. So it is important to always train, train and train to get better every time. The great part about practicing situational awareness, it does not require any special equipment or this kind of like gym membership. It is simply 
a change in the way you think, a change the way you see, a change the way you observe. You can practice anytime throughout the day while going about your normal life, right? For example, well, these days, more like going to the grocery store, your favorite coffee shop, you know, like I'm a Starbucks addict. So I practice that every time when I do go. And then there's, you know, a couple of them, two or three, that's my neighborhood, uh, you know, uh, that I go every day, right? Every time my, my, my daily kind of thing, right? Stops. And you got to have to know your environment over there. You got to know how many exits are there, right? How many exits? And that should be like naturally, naturally implemented, deployed in your mind, in your brain, in your visual scanning, everywhere you go, whether it is that every day you go to, whether it is like some unfamiliar buildings and places that you go to, this is automatically by default, naturally done by you. You are the weapon yourself, your brain, your mindset, or even going to the open space like the park, a lot of open spaces that we go to, right? the cinema, the theaters, the open space, like uh, public events and things like that. For a run, for a jog, I share many of these life-saving tips for some practical exercises to work on a si your situational awareness at any of these locations, guys. It's simulation exercises is so important. That's what I do. That's why I come in. That's why I teach. Go to the sa365.nikidere.com learn. And then I do give a 30-minute um, overview. I know sometimes people say it's no longer than 30 minutes. It's way beyond that. Yeah. I, a lot of times I uh, we present more than 30 minutes. So it's like go over like an hour or maybe more. But yeah, I do share many life-saving tips for some practical exercises to work on this situational awareness at any of this location. Education is so critical. When we're being educated, knowledge will reside and emerge. And you must take action. You must apply it in a, in a way where it's, um, you know, you, I want to see practice. I want to see some simulation exercises. That's by meaning by taking action, taking action, getting proper training and apply this knowledge separate. Applying this, applying this will separate you, the survivors from the victims. Talk about run, hide, fight right? The recommended uh, solutions by DHS, the Department of Homeland Security back in 2012, but also the FBI agent, federal agency that proposed solution, recommended solution in the event of, you know, active shooter incidents, run, hide, fight. But I, I was researching those things, right? I took some training, uh, FEMA training. I got certification on this, on the active shooter preparedness. And, you know, I... I uh, really researched more and more deeply and deeply and studied and analyzed all of the, all of the history of active shooter incidents way back when, back in Kenya, the university in Kenya, in China, outside the U.S. homeland, um, outside our country. There, there, there's a few out there, right? The deadliest mass shooting took place in Kenya way back when, and also in China, also in uh, Norway, Oslo, Norway, all of these places, you know, didn't get to talk about. But all of this, I research it and I say, oh, you know, what are these things? So pre-action, action, reaction are really broken down into this kind of um, uh, preparation, a solution-based option, right? Pre-action, 
it, it is all about mental preparation, um, all about the integrating the situational awareness skill, right? The action part of it, defensive tactics, uh, the techniques, the tactical decision-making techniques, right? Um, I also integrate the OODA loop uh, concept. Back to the situational awareness, we integrate, you know, um, I integrated the, uh, the technique of strategy, the strategy that was uh, adopted by uh, Colonel Jeff Cooper, you know, U.S. Marine, called uh, the color code of mental awareness. That's part of my situational awareness, also strategy and skills that we, you know, presented. And then we, we, we put it into this three-day workshop. Um, it, it is a simulation exercise-based, guys. I mean, this is something that we need to practice. We need to exercise. We need to be able to mentally prepare ourselves. If What if these things happen? We never know. Not being paranoid, annoyed, but also being, being proactive. And then just not being, you know, um, getting caught in the last minute kind of thing. But reaction is the next ongoing situational awareness, action analysis, and, you know, modification. I'm always big in modifying, modifying things that improving things, continuous improvement. (laughs) You guys know me with Kaizen. So I'm big with that. So reaction is the ongoing situational awareness and also practicing that uh, color code of mental awareness as well, right? I'll talk a lot about that in my three-day workshop. Um, if you guys want to want to visit SA, like situational awareness, sa365.nikidare.com, you should be able to see some kind of overview in that. And there's uh, YouTube videos uh, explain a little bit more about that. But there's no one-size-fits-all solution. So we must continue improve our preparedness planning through the response strategies need to evolve beyond the basic lockdown. The recommended solutions, like I said, run, hide, fight provides a firm foundation for the expansion of an option-based response strategy for only school-based active shooter events. We need to expand it, guys. Not just happen in the school environment, right? We saw it last week at the grocery store. We saw it. Workplace events as well, right? What about public events? What about the... Um, the uh, the outdoor concert. What about the uh, the public events? What about the the you know the uh, the Boston Marathon run? You know all of these things. Movie theaters as well. We all need to improve these response strategies in many many ways possible. It is important to be proactive. It is important to make potential plans in your head. You know, visualize it, right? So you can be mentally prepared for it. How would you react? How where would you go? Exactly. Where would you go? Is there any exit plans? Is there any exits wherever you are? How would you escape from this? What would you do? How would you help those around you? How would you deal with this potential ethical conflicts? These are some considerations that you may need to face. How do you respond to the first 10 seconds in an active shooting situation? This will determine the chance of your survival. Run, hide, fight. Practice and training will develop good practices for coping with an active shooter situation. Guys, we must continue to address this, continue this, this discussion together, collectively. We all play critical role and choices you make will have lasting ramification on those, on you, people around you. 
um, you know, taking action that you can take to help reduce the likelihood of active shooter incident anywhere, not just in a workplace, not just in a grocery store, not just in school environment, but anywhere. While we can prevent this incident 100% of the time, we can reduce the likelihood of an incident and prevent some incident from occurring. So therefore, to save lives. So that's all I have to have to say. Um, I just want to say, guys, it has been really a very, very sad day. Very sad day in Texas. I, I have no words. I'm speechless when it comes to any killing, especially children, defenseless children. Let's work on this together. Let's build building communities together, resilient communities together. Let's educate, educate our children to stay safe and to stay prepared. Guys, let's work on this together. My name is Nikki Dare, and I am so happy that you guys uh, listen to this. I know it's, it's probably a couple hours on the podcast. I told you it was a special podcast that I want to put together. Uh, my name is Nikki Dare. I'm a very, very passionate advocate for safety and survival, disaster preparedness, risk management. I've had really help many people save their lives by educating and mobilizing resources to disaster risk reduction. I am a certified CERT community emergency response team, level two, certified firearms instructor, shotgun, rifle, and handgun, had had numerous training on, on and off the range in multiple disciplines of self-defense, including Krav Maga, as well as executive protection services, and also certified DOJ safety training. Thank you guys for listening. And please do stay safe. Watch your 6, 12, 3, and 9. And stay vigilant. God bless. This is Nikki Dare. You have been listening to Nikki Dare's Radio, a podcast of sustainability with your host, Ms. Nikki Dare. Nikki Dare's life has been spent passionately in helping others going through transformation, both personal and professional. To learn more, please visit Ms. Dare's websites, education.nikkidare.com. Workshops on safety preparedness, situational awareness are available. Also available, the Transformational Coaching Series. For corporate and private group pricing, please contact us. Please visit her website, NikkiDare.com. All of her broadcasts are available for free download on iTunes podcast, Nikki Dare. For more details on opportunities for sponsorships and speaking engagements, please email us at education at Nikki dare.com join her next time living in purpose and passion our mission is to live a sustainable life with your host nikki dare